Here we are at Christmas, the most beautiful time of the year. Catch the podcast if you don't get that reference, that's fine. It's a sneaky plug for our Encounter podcast. Um, and uh, presents may have been unwrapped, Beyblades and rebound nets and the like. Hopefully some coffee and eggnog put back. If you haven't yet had eggnog, it's really the one thing I command you to do as a pastor. Please drink eggnog this morning. Um, and this morning, I just want to—I want to touch on something really briefly, something that I think is critical for all of us, and that's joy. This idea of joy, and particularly having joy at Christmas time, and our own capacity for joy—it's a really kind of abstract idea. It's this peculiar, wonderful idea, joy, and it's one that often gets affiliated with Christmas, and then the rest of the year we just sort of, you know, try and work out the difference between joy and happiness, and they're kind of the same thing for us. But you know, you see joy on that moment. Where if you've got kids or you've got grandkids or you, you around someone with kids for Christmas, if you've got under 10s for Christmas, like that's, that's peak Christmas. Three to 10 year old, that age range. When they open something, and it, it almost doesn't matter what it is. Like just a pro tip for the parents uh, or parents to be out there. If you are wanting to just expand the presents under your tree, but you're not really wanting to spend more money, just think of the things you need to buy them for school next year and wrap them up as presents and they become presents. And that's just an extra level of excitement. That's just a little life hack for you. And uh, enjoy, you know, you see it when they come out of, of bed in the morning and they, and they walk over and suddenly on the table, the carrots are mostly eaten and there's only cookie crumbs left. And that Santa has been during the night, and that is important to say right now because the kids are staying in Encounter this morning. So Santa came last night, and it was a big deal. Okay, right? Good, good. We're all on board. And it's important. Joy is important for us. It keeps us going. But it's also something that I think is a thread throughout all of Christian history. And not to go all Da Vinci Code on you, but I think it's kind of the hidden secret of Christianity is the joy that is interwoven in every aspect of the Bible and is this hidden thread throughout all of the Bible from Old Testament to the New. And that is this, that when the presence of God is with us, joy is with us. When God is with us, joy is with us. So for those who aren't familiar with the Bible, it's a, an, a collection of texts, an ancient collection of texts that points to one overarching story. And it's such a simple story that God loves you and God has made the way possible for a genuine relationship with all of us. It's a really simple overarching story. And in this story, there's this message about the Hebrew people, the people of God, these people plucked from obscurity and used to show the world the goodness and glory of God in a million different ways. Patiently, God teaches them wisdom and right living and right worship. And along the way, God allows them to have encounter after encounter with him. And linked with these encounters is so often a sense of joy. And just a few examples in the book of Leviticus, which if you've read it, joy is not normally the feeling you're feeling when you read the book of Leviticus. But in the book of Leviticus, the study of priestly law, there is joy when the presence of God turns up and burns up the sacrifices. They talk about a presence of joy. And in Esther, which is a story about the Hebrew people fighting for survival while they're exiled, there is joy when the intervening actions of God bring salvation. There is joy. And of course, there are the Psalms, which are these beautiful songs of praise and love and hope, amongst other things, in which there is joy. It was joy mixed in all of this. The Old Testament resounds with joy at the coming of God. 
And there are two really interesting times this happens in a book that doesn't really get preached a whole lot about and even less at Christmas, and that's First Chronicles. Now, First Chronicles is it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And it starts off with this big genealogy, and then it goes through and just explains basically what happens in the rule of these different kings. Some go really well, a lot more don't go really well, uh, but we have it all unpacked for us in Scripture. And there's two chapters in particular I want to look at where joy is discussed. The first is in chapter 16. And in chapter 16, the central figure is a guy called David. And if you've ever heard of David, you've probably heard of it through the David and Goliath lens, this little shepherd boy where the shepherd boy made good. He became king. Look at me now, mom, king of the world. And he became king. And one of his jobs was to restore Israel the way God wanted it to be. And he had to go and rescue the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant for the Israelites is the very presence of God. So when the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 16 is brought back into Jerusalem, this is a huge event, huge. We can't understate how important this was to the Hebrew people because for the Hebrew people, it was like them saying, God is with us again. If we feared that God wasn't with us now, the Ark of the Covenant is back in Jerusalem. God is with us again. The Ark represents the physical presence of God with his people. And so they celebrate and David writes this song of joy and praise. And we hear David sing lines like this in verse 27. That splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So for David, now that the ark is back in Jerusalem with the people, that means God is back in Jerusalem. That means that joy is back in the city. God has returned to his people and so they rejoice. And the second one I want to look at is in chapter 29, same book, First Chronicles. And it features the same guy, David again. But this time an older David. In a different part of his life, it features David when he's having a changing of the guard moment. He's about to hand the baton over to his son, Solomon, to take over and become the king of Israel. And these are the two greatest kings in the history of Israel. This is a big deal. This is peak. This is probably a little higher than if Charles takes over from Elizabeth. You know what I mean? Like it's, This is peak Israel. But it wasn't as simple as that. They didn't get to it that simply. There was some Game of Thrones stuff going on before that happened. A lot of people trying to get the kingdom away from David, away from Solomon. And so when they eventually have this happen, and the two greatest kings in their history handing over the baton from one to the other, this becomes enormous. Finally, it's the king chosen by God, devoted to wisdom and justice. So when it finally happens, the people celebrate. And David, who, as you're finding out by now, is just your classic creative pulling out his acoustic guitar and saying, here's another song I wrote. Who'd like to hear it? (laughs) Writes another song. He's singing out his joy before we read in verse 22 that all the people ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day because the true king was on the throne. So they rejoice. There is just something in this joy thing. It's too prevalent throughout all the different books of Scripture. Now we get to the New Testament, and in the New Testament, the mentions of joy get even more frequent as if, I don't know, maybe something momentous and joyful is about to happen. Uh, Here we are, Christmas Day. And Luke in particular, who is one of the writers of the New Testament, keeps talking about this incredible joy throughout both his books. He wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And in both of them, he talks about joy all the time. And in Luke chapter 2, famously, we hear this story of the angels coming to visit shepherds. And the angels say, this is good news of great joy for all the people. Fantastic. And this is kind of the climax 
This is the big finale. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the joy of the Old Testament because in Jesus we have God returning to his people and we're about to have the king put on his rightful throne. And just like in David and Solomon's time, it's God returning to his people, but this time it's in the flesh, the very power and presence of God made tangible. And just like in David and Solomon's time, the true king is on the throne, but it's not a human king with good intentions. It's God himself, the king as he was always meant to be, a king whose kingdom has no taxes or armies and who the proof of his successful reign is that justice and mercy flows like a river. This is the kingdom the way it's meant to be. And in Jesus, we are called to celebrate with joy because God is with us and the true king is on the throne. Those two things happening together. And this is all really good news. But it's kind of not until we get to the book of Hebrews later on in the New Testament that this all really hits home. I mean, it's Christmas. We're celebrating joy here. We're celebrating, just in case you're new to this, the birth of Jesus today. This is birth. Easter's death. They're kind of the pillars. Death and resurrection. But the writer of Hebrews, in the, in the verses we're reading today, points not to Jesus' birth, but to his death, not to the manger, but to the cross. See, the writer of Hebrews also talks about joy, but the joy he talks about is very different. It's a joy that's only really found in darkness. It's a joy that has to be earned, a joy that requires love and sacrifice, a joy that only comes out of resilience. See, the writer of Hebrews points out that while Jesus' birth was beautiful and an occasion for joy, until we get his death and resurrection, it's just kind of a really good baby shower. The writer of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the agony of the cross. It was joy that kept Jesus at his mission. It was joy that focused him on what needed to be done. And this is so different to happiness. So different. This requires choice. It requires a choice of mindset because Jesus wasn't in a pleasant situation on the cross or even one he wanted to experience. That's one of the surprising things we read in the Gospels, that Jesus says, if this can be taken from me, God, please do it. But I'd rather your will be done. And it requires the choice not to run from his destiny, not to call down those same angels that we heard declaring his birth in Luke, saying this is good news of great joy. Instead of calling those down, he has to walk this path. He has to choose this joy. But the book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus did choose this, and then it tells us why. Because of the joy set before him. Now, for me, I find Christmas pretty joyful. It's one of my favorite times of year. Again, I've got young kids, and I've got really grateful kids. They celebrate everything. I could wrap dirt up in a, in pa- in a bag, and they'd be like, whoa, this is new. I don't have dirt. You know, yeah, honestly, they're wonderful. We no. <laughs> getting trolled by my own son, my five-year-old son here. But the point is Christmas isn't joyful for everybody. And I know for some of you here, maybe that's your case. Christmas has been a difficult time. I know for some people Christmas brings out memories of family members lost or family members that were disconnected from, family members that we feel distant from. Uh, sometimes rather than feeling this sense of fulfillment and joy, it can provoke in us a sense of what we don't have. And if that's you, if, if joy is the opposite of what you're feeling today, I'm so glad and so grateful that we have the privilege of being family to you this morning. But here's where I think we can all find hope. 
What was the joy set before Jesus? What was the reason for his joy, the passion that drove his purpose? It was you. You were the joy set before Jesus. You were the reason he willingly went to the cross. You were the reason he endured the pain and suffering. You were the reason he scorned shame, scorned the shame of being hung on his hung on a tree on a cross, which was seen as a curse by his people. It was for love of you and I. You were the focus of Jesus' mission. You were what drove him on. And if you were the only person on the planet, you would still have been the joy set before Jesus. You still would have. For the joy set before him, the true king, let himself be killed. For the joy set before him, the very person of God, allowed himself to be strung up on a cross. And this is really just a complicated pastory way of getting to a really simple message, which is that Jesus loves you. He loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. His love for you is unstoppable. It is passionate. It is personal. And it is joyful. God loves you. Jesus came to earth at Christmas so that you might know the presence of God and also know the joy of God. Because with the presence of God comes joy. And if you're new to the church thing or you're not sure about Jesus yet, you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are here because they have sensed the presence of God and encountered the presence of God, either supernaturally or in the tangible love that people have expressed to them. And have been filled with joy. A joy that really can't be explained away. God loves you. He is closer than you realize. And a relationship with him is easier than you think. Easier than you think. And you are his joy. So just as we close up now, I'm just going to offer a prayer.